0: Guys, the same thing is being communicated through the psalmist who says, who can who can ascend into the house of the Lord? It's those whose hearts have been made pure. And through that, through that relationship with Jesus Christ, the outside works will begin to change. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. continuing our our study through the book of Psalms, right? The entirety, the collection of Psalms is Psalms, but one Psalm is a Psalm. It's not Psalms 24, it's Psalm 24, okay? You will sound so smart if you say it that way. And now it's gonna bother you when you hear someone say, Psalm 23, you're like, Psalm, buddy, all right? So Psalm 24 is where we are this evening. Remember, uh, the Book of Psalms is a collection of songs. It's really the Hebrew hymnal book. It was a. It's five volumes. Uh, we're still in the first volume, I believe. Uh, last week, Brian, Pastor Brian, taught through the teens. So we covered quite a few chapters. And tonight, we're going to pick up. We left off, I think the last time I taught was Psalm 23. So I'm going to pick up in 24. So it just kind of makes sense that way. All right. You with me? Sweet. This is a Psalm of David. Uh, We don't really have much background on what this Psalm was coming out of, uh, the time of his life and and kind of why he was writing or when he was writing. Uh, Sometimes we have insight into the Psalms as, uh, you know, when David was writing, I think it was Psalm 51. uh, He had just lost his child with Bathsheba. Uh, We have all these different kind of Psalms like that. Uh, where there's a time where he was hiding that secret, and when he before he was confronted, he writes a psalm. So there's all these different times in his life where we kind of get an insight into what was going on through those um, through those writings. But this one, we don't know what it's about necessarily, or why he's writing, or when he's writing. There's there is theory that this is when he brought is or is bringing the ark of the covenant back into the city of Jerusalem um, from the Philistines. And he's, remember that story? He's bringing it into the city. Uh, he, he decides to put it on a cart and wheel it in, and it begins to, to fall off the cart. And some guy, does anyone know the name of the man that reached out? Huh? Uzzah. Uzzah, 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 Uzzah reached out, touched the Ark of the Covenant, and he dropped dead at that moment. And it stopped. Everything stopped. Like, no one moved uh, the ark. They, they remember they're supposed to do it the right way. And so they put the poles through the Levitical thing, the whole thing. Okay. So maybe they believe that this is kind of what was happening at that time where David's bringing the ark of the covenant into uh, the temple, into the worship place uh, in Israel or in the city of David. And so they're dancing and singing before it and all of that. But we just don't know. It makes sense when you read it like, yeah, it could be, but we're not certain. And so, so that's some free information. All right. So here's verse one says, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So David begins by, by looking at, at creation and just saying everything that we can see, everything that we can touch and everything that we can't see, to the depths of space, to the depths of the ocean, like it's God's, it's his. He made it. And everything in it is his and belongs to him. And the, the word there uh, where it says world, it says dwelling places in, in the Hebrew. It means all those who dwell in those dwelling places, every single person is the Lord's, belongs to him, created by him, created in the image of God. And David just begins with this grand statement and again, reminding us, reminding us, ugh, reminding us of the bigness and vastness of God. That God is the one who made it. God is the one who, who then has purpose and mission intended in his creation. And he's the one who gets to define what that is. God is the one, as the creator, he is the author of and the def- the one who gets to define what creation is about. Because he made it. And, and therefore, everything in it also receives its identity from It's creator. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about how man has has twisted that into thinking they're the one who become the authority in saying what or, or begin to identify what creation is, and they're the one who gets to call the shots because they know more than God. Sadly, culture hasn't changed much. Culture still believes that they're the ones who get to identify and claim purpose on what God has created. That they get to self, uh, self-declare self what they are, who they are. Listen, God is the one, as the creator, who is the author and finisher of life, therefore is the one who defines what it is. He defines his own creation. Um, and so here David exclaims, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, everything within it, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. And it's, again, reminding us of of God's purpose in every person. Every person is valuable unto the Lord. Every person is created in the image of God, therefore is, is worth something because they are worth something to their creator. They're valuable, they're loved, they're cared for. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't just create out of out of sheer like watch this. It's not like a firework where God's like, let's see what happens. Yeah, America, whatever. That's not God's attitude. Clearly, clearly, um, I don't think I had to explain it that way for you. You probably knew that already. But just to clarify, God always has intention and purpose in what He creates. Therefore. How are we, okay, and this is is something I think we should talk about because of where we live. How should we, as Christians, care for the environment? (laughs) How should we care about the environment? And this is important. Because of where we live, people worship the environment. Right? Like, especially right here, um, people worship the environment. And they also—I mean, it's—it's it's like a global movement now. We worship the globe, Mother Earth, things like that. Okay. G.K. Chesterton said it the best. He said, <laughs> he said this, if I can remember. He said that the Earth is not our mother. The Earth, if anything, if you begin to see her as a mother, you realize that she's a stepmother. If she's anything, she's a sister because we have the same creator. Therefore, she is to be admired, but never emulated or worshiped, okay? We have to understand that how are we, as Christians, supposed to to look at the environment around us and global warming and climate change and all this stuff, and listen, that has never been the focal point of the church. It's never been the mission of the church is to save the planet, never has been. The mission of the church has always been to save souls. But we as Christians, of anyone, should be good stewards of creation. Right? What did the in the beginning, if we go back to the, the law of first mention, right? We go to the, the law of first mention is the Bible first mentions creation. We see man put into a garden, and what is he told to do? To subdue it and to tend it. To bring it into dominion and to take care of it. That's, that's what God placed man into his creation for. For relationship with him and his job or his work, which again, existed pre-fall. Therefore, work is holy. <laughs> yeah, it's holy. It's six times more holy than rest. Okay, so if you're like, I'm all about Sabbath, seven days a week. You have it out of whack right? Work is holy when it is done unto God. It's six times more holy because God worked six days and rested one. So if you get an extra, praise God. Like, hey, God is good Um, and whatever. Back to creation. Back Back to the environment, okay? We are never to worship the environment. We're to take care of it. We're to steward it. We're to be good stewards of it, but never at the cost of human life. Never at the expense. Never should it secede or go above human need and human nature. Like, it, 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 I mean, there's so many other things that we should place our concern about. Like, the death of the unborn. The goal of the church has always been to save souls, not to save the soil. <laughs> I just thought of that right now. Like, <laughs> like that's, yes, that is our concern. We're weak should be concerned. <laughs> Boom. Tweet it, yeah, I don't care. That was the cheesiest line ever. But here's the thing. Like, we should care about it. We should care about turtles, whatever. But if you use a straw, are you going to hell? No, you're not. You're not. It's okay. If you have a bonfire and release carbon into (laughs) into the air, like, are you going to hell? No, you're not. You're saved by grace, not by works. Praise God. But should we take care of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Proverbs talks about the care of animals. Like, he who does not take care of his animals or treats it bad, again I'm paraphrasing, like is is worthless. Okay? So the Bible talks about these things, but it never supersedes human like r- human nature or, 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 or human need, if that makes any sense. So the earth is the Lord's and everything within it. And so we should take care of it. We should treat it as the Lord's, as something that we're going to give back. That's what stewardship means. It means that they're lending it to you, but you don't own it, right? Have you ever borrowed something from someone? You're supposed to treat it better than your own stuff. But a lot of times, you're know, like, I borrow this. I don't even care, you know? It's like renting a car, right? And this little, this thing is, oh, yeah, I'm going to drive it like the dirt ball it is, you know, all of my frustration and anger going out on this rental car right now. Um, but that's not how it's supposed to be, right? But when someone loans something to you, you understand that at some point you're going to give it back. You're going to have to give an account for it. Same thing in everything that we have in our life. Your finances is on loan to you from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Therefore, it's from God. It's his. belongs to him. Your children someday, they belong to the Lord. Therefore, you steward them unto the Lord. Because as as someday you're going to have to give them back. Your wife, your husband—you steward it as someone is as, as on loan from God, and someday you're going to give it back. And so, same thing with the, with possessions and houses and life and whatever—we're to take care of things. But we open it; we, we have we have a, we hold it flat because it doesn't belong to us necessarily. It's it's on loan from God. It's His purposes above all, um, and, he, and and what would benefit human beings above all. Um, is is what we, how we how we view this? And if you have a different opinion, hey, let's talk about it and and converse. I don't hate nature. If you're like Andrew, hates nature. I don't hate nature. I love it. I love living in it. I love swimming in it. I, I'm into it. I'm into it. What? Like snakes? snakes are from the pit of hell. <laughs> Genesis chapter three. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cursed. <laughs> um, girl <laughs> They're horrible. Same with sharks. It's shark week. It's everywhere. Is it over? Oh, thank God. Is it not over? Still going? It's now shark month. It's horrible. Everything is sharks. Shark, 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 sharks. Anyway, moving on. The environment. Do we kill sharks? No. Do we kill snakes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a different opinion, we'll talk about it later. Talk to Dave. He knows everything. Okay. Everything in the world, and those who dwell in it, they're in. But I think that's the most important thing. And we see that throughout Scripture. God always sought to save human beings, right? Even Nineveh. I think that's one of the greatest examples of the grace of God. Like These are people outside of the covenant of God, outside of the laws of God. And God sends his prophet to go talk to these godless people. And he says to, them, like, to Jonah, I'm going to destroy them but I want you to go and tell them that there's a, there's an opportunity. If they'll repent, I will relent from it. Like there'll be grace. There'll be mercy. And every time in, in history, God's heart has always been to seek and save that which is lost. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. Um, God cares for human beings so much. So he loves them. He loves them. He loves them. Every single person, um, regardless of, of skin color, regardless of gender, regardless of, of religion, regardless of whatever, uh, not all religions save you, but the God of the universe loves those who hate him. I think that's the, the, the red line of the gospel throughout scripture is that God cares for human beings. And, and we as a church have always been a Christ-centered entity. Therefore, our utmost concern is the glory of God and the extension of the gospel to save human beings. That's the most important thing. So anytime a church preaches, like environment, 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 sure, we should care for the environment. But we should always care for the people that live live there, and their souls will enter into eternity. The Bible says that this earth will burn with a vehement heat. That's uh, heat. That's like the hottest word you could use. Like vehement. It's it's gonna burn. It's gonna be recreated in God. I mean, um, and and that's we're done with that point. Moving on. David switches gears so fast. It doesn't even make sense. He talks about like the earth and everything within it. And then he says, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord and who can stand in his holy place? Who, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. All of a sudden it just like switches gears. Um, It doesn't really connect with the first two lines, um, which is weird. Like if you ever listen to a song like that, where it doesn't really connect, you're like, what? How does that connect to anything that we're talking about here? Why does that even matter? Well, I think as you read on, you begin to see why it connects, but at the beginning, it doesn't really connect. But as you go on, it says, um, like, who can ascend into the holy place of God? He who has, a clean, who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of, who, of those who seek him, who seek your face." So he begins to talk about just how big and holy and good God is and how he's made everything and everything belongs to him. He knows everything about his creation. He, he intricately designed it and is involved in it and continues to allow it to spin and work and, and move and function. And then he says, like, who can ascend into God's holiness? Like, who can walk into God's house and just be like, what's up? Best friend? No, like the answer is no one. Like that, whenever it asks a question, we, we're supposed to answer it. Who can do that? I can't. He begins to list who can, but this is not like a, this is not a, a four-step program to like get to be righteous or how to enter into relationship with God. What does he say? He says, this is Jacob. What's a synonym for Jacob? Israel. Israel. Those who have entered into a covenant relationship with God, based upon God's faithfulness and based upon sacrifice, right? In those days, it was it was based on sacrifice in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew way. It was based on sacrifice. You had to come to God his way through a blood sacrifice of a lamb. Now this side of the cross we still come in a new covenant. Under the new covenant of God, we come to him in his way through his sacrifice, his own son, Jesus Christ. So who can enter into God's holy place he says? This is it's these people. Those that have entered into covenant love and relationship with God. Because if it's through these steps, I'm disqualified, you're disqualified, we're all disqualified. Listen to that. He who has a clean hands and a pure heart. Nope, not, no, I missed that one. He who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, which means you've never put anything above Jesus. You never loved anything or, or saw anything more than Jesus and placed anything above him in your life, no idol in your life. I lose. I'm wrong. That's two, like two two strikes, four strikes, you're out. No, three, you know, three, here it comes. Nor sworn deceitfully, meaning you've never made a promise you couldn't keep. Ask all my kids. I've broken, I've done it. Like, I promise I will do this. And I don't. That's what it means. So those who have a pure heart, clean hands, no idols, never broken a promise, they shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from salvation. I don't make it. I can't make it. I'm out. But then he says it's those who have entered into covenant relationship with God. Those who have come through the sacrifice of Jesus. Those who come to the Lord through Jesus Christ, what happens? You have a pure heart. God now recreates that heart. You've been made new, the Bible tells you. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation in Jesus. You've been made new. He says, in Ezekiel, I'll take your heart of, uh, of flesh and I'll give you a heart of stone. I, 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 oh, no, stone and then flesh, that's the one. I, I will make it, like, real. <laughs> it's a test, it was seeing if you read Ezekiel, and you all do. You passed. <laughs> I, I will give you a new heart, Ezekiel says. Right? I'll cause it to like function. And, and that's the, the, the whole thing here. If you have a pure heart, then you will have clean hands. You cannot have clean hands without a pure heart. Meaning you can't clean up the outside that will then clean the inside. And, and no matter what you do on the outside, it doesn't fix the inward problem of sin apart from the work of Jesus Christ. There's no amount of good works you can do. There's no amount of of service and VBSs you can be a part of. Vacation Bible Schools, you can serve at every single one to the day you die, and you'll die a sinner. It, like, doesn't help. I wish it did. It should. It's exhausting. And, like, my back still hurts from it. But it, it should count for something. But it doesn't. Like, righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ, the pure sacrifice for our sins. Um, Even Jesus brought this up. Matthew chapter 23. Turn with me real quick. Matthew 23, New Testament. In speaking with the religious leaders, those who were supposed to be the, the guides of spirituality in the nation of Israel. Matthew 23, verse 25. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now notice, in my Bible, there's a giant exclamation point. And in English class, I learned that that means someone is yelling, right? Someone's yelling loudly. So Jesus isn't like, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, <laughs> Hi- hypocrites. <laughs> he's, there's an exclamation point, which means he's screaming, he's yelling. I'm not gonna yell, but like he's yelling this, like woe to you, you hypocrites. Whoa, that's a pointy word. That's that's harsh. That's that doesn't sound like meek and mild Jesus, little, little, little sweet man. What does it sound like? Sounds like Jesus upset. And I find that Jesus yells at hypocrites. Have you ever noticed that? Like if he yells at anybody, it wasn't the woman caught in adultery. It wasn't like, you sick sinner, you freak of nature. Get it together. Like, I cannot believe you. He's just tender and soft. He's like, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Gentle, sweet, kind. He rebukes the wind and the waves. But where do we see Jesus yelling? We see him yelling at hypocrites. Those who claim one thing and live a different thing. That's pretty interesting. He says, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Today, I was um, driving to a coffee shop to get myself a little treat because I was really tired. And so I was going to get a coffee and I reached in my back uh, cup holder and I was like, oh, my Yeti, sweet. I'm, it'll stay cold and I can drink it all day. It's not a Yeti ad, but gay, like, right? So I pull it out and I'm like, oh, there's liquid in it. And so I open my door on the side, <laughs> at, a, at a red light and I go to throw it out and no, no joke, it came out like a Jello mold oh. of like, oh. <laughs> and it just on the ground goes bonk, bonk, bonk. And I was like, oh no. Now, I didn't use the cup. It's disgusting, and like the smell hit off the off the asphalt. Like, oh god, there's nothing worse than old half and half in a in a cup. So, so, <laughs> so throw it out. Now, you would if you saw me washing the outside of that thing. Like, I gotta clean this puppy, and then the inside is just. And I'm like, yeah, fill it up, brand new six dollar pour over. Do it. What? A, that's disgusting. It's not clean. It's still dirty. That's the point that Jesus makes. Why do you spend so time on the out, so much time trying to clean up the outside and he says the inside is rotten. It's full of extortion. It's full of sin. And he later would say you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside they're all white, but inside there's dead men's bones. Guys, the same thing is being communicated through the psalmist. He says, "Who can who can ascend into the house of the Lord? It's those whose hearts have been made pure. And through that through that relationship with Jesus Christ, the outside works will begin to change. So being a Christian is not necessarily about like pulling yourself up by your own, own might and just being like, okay, I'm just going to be a better person. Like give me a Bible study about how to be a better person. There is none there's one way to be made new, it's not about being a new person. It's about being a new creation or a better person. It's about being a new creation. And that only comes through Jesus. And so as you come to Jesus and he begins to clean the inside, what happens is the outside then matches the inside. It's crazy how that works. It's so counterculture. It's counter to every religion in, in the universe. Whereas we can like be spiritual, but in this in this way, there's always this outside work and outside ritual and outside things to try and change the inside, and you can't. And that's why the apostle Paul was so frustrated before he became a Christian. He, he's reading the commandments, and he's, he comes to the one of covetousness, thou shall not covet. And he's going, I've done all the outside stuff. I've kept every law, all 675 of them. I've done all the rituals. I've done all the stuff. And he says, I can't make myself not want to covet. That's That's a heart thing. And I can't change my heart. Only God can it's a God thing. And so who David says who can ascend into God's holy place? Those who have entered in a covenant relationship with him and God through the working in his heart has made his outside works pure. Like through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit his life has been changed and we see the evidence of that life and that new life work its way out. It's from the inside out. Right? And then uh, it goes on to say, this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face. We're going to talk next week in verse in chapter 25 about seeking the Lord and, and um, what that looks like more in detail. And so we'll come back to this verse. But verse 7, it says, now lift up your heads, O gates, and lift up your everlasting doors. Um, this is, again, has a prophetic um Uh, looking forward, but also present in the millennial reign of Christ, the everlasting doors that it's speaking of. But um, it says here, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? Now, do you guys remember in, um, maybe in school or church, like they'd have callback worship, like someone would sing a line and then the congregation would sing a line. It was so cool. I love that. It's like, and you're like, it's so cool. I love Richly enjoy it. Um, we don't do it much anymore, but it is fantastic. That's what this is. The, the leader of the song is like, who is this King of Glory? And the people are like, this is the King of Glory. And this song was actually read every day in the temple. Every day this song was read in the temple before worship. So there was like this song between the Levites and the, the lead song worship guy or worship leader um, would lead them in this song. And it was like a callback. And he says, who is this king of glory? And they would answer, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. This is the king of glory. Lift up your heads, O gates, right? This is the other person. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Again, who is the king of glory? He's the Lord of hosts. Now, Lord of hosts is, is uh, a title that's given to God as the Lord of the angels. O- o- over the army of the angels, he is the king of glory. Now, where do we find the king of glory? We Find him outside. Like the, the call is like, lift up the gates. like Let the guy in. Let him in. He's the king of glory. Who is this king of glory? Well, he's the Lord, mighty and strong in battle. He's the Lord of hosts. He's all these things. Where do we find him? On the outside. Why? Because he shall, look at that verse, uh, verse 7 at the end and verse 9 at the end. He, or and the King of Glory shall come in. It's repeated twice. So if he has to come in, where is he? He's not in, he's out. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. And this is where I think we'll end. Yeah. Revelation chapter 3. And this is, again, remember the seven letters to the seven churches? This is the church of Thyatira, or no, excuse me, Laodicea. And speaking of, of um, who they are as a church, he says, these things says, verse, verse 14, these things says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. This is Jesus speaking. I know your works, that you were neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold, you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, I do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined with fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, clothed in, uh that the shame of your nakedness may not reveal, be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. and therefore be zealous and repent. Now here it is, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, he says, you've, you've gotten lukewarm. right?" Isn't it interesting that when you pull something out of the fridge and you leave it out, it like settles to room temperature, and it's gross. If you have something hot, like that hot, sweet cup of coffee first thing in the morning and it's steaming and you're like, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Guatemala, for all that you do. And then you leave it out and it settles to room temperature. And if you're Sean, that's when you actually like it, right? Sean drinks really weird coffee stuff. Ask him about it. He has like a whole line of Chandre drinks that he specifically enjoys. But... Like it settles to room temperature, whether it's cold or whether it's hot. If it's left out, it just becomes lukewarm, lukewarm. And this is what Jesus says. It's, it's not, I, I spit it out of my mouth. It's disgusting. It's gross. But the invitation that he gives to this church, he says, I stand outside and I knock. Will you let the King of glory in? I don't know about you, but there have been so many times just in my Christian life where I'm like going along and I'm like, what is wrong with me? I feel like just I feel unresponsive to worship. I feel unresponsive sometimes to like the teaching of God's word. Maybe this is a little too honest. I feel just perhaps it's is it God? I don't think so. Is it his word that's lost lost power? I don't think so. Is God less deserving of worship? Is that what it is? No. So who has the problem? It's me. What's happened? Perhaps I've, I've grown just lukewarm. We're just kind of, I'm not really digging in like I, I used to. I'm not really putting forth effort into my relationship with God like I used to. Someone said this recently and it, it just totally like rocked my little world because I do have a little world that I live in and I think it's all about me, but it's not like the Truman show <laughs> that this little world exists for me. It doesn't. Um, they said there's a difference between merit and effort. We are saved not by our merit, right? We're not saved by merit badges. Like, I, I went to church, I did these like, things. I'm not saved by Mary. I'm saved by what? Okay, cool. It's like two of you. I'm saved by what? Grace. Through faith, right? I'm, that's how I'm saved. But as I put forth effort into it, I experienced the blessing more and more of it. He put it this way. He was coming driving to Yosemite. And if you've ever driven through that tunnel and you come out and there's like the picture, like Ansel Adam picture, like there it is. There is the glory that is Yosemite. If you've never been there, you know, I've been there once, so whatever, but you know, you're going there. He put it this way. They're, he'd never been there and they're coming through the tunnel and his sunglasses like were covered like in dirt. And so he hands them to his wife, and as they're coming through the tunnel, he's like, Can you wipe off my like my glasses? And so she's wiping off the glasses, and he puts them on and he's like, Oh, now I can see it. Like, this is what I'm seeing. And he says, Isn't that like like merit and effort? He says, It's not, I didn't get there through my own. Merit. I'm not I'm not making this beautiful. It is beautiful. But as my my lenses are cleaned, I'm there it, it, through that effort, experiencing all that is the glory that is Yosemite. And isn't that true of the Christian walk? Like we don't make grace happen. We don't we don't make salvation happen. We we don't we're not saved by anything that we do. But as you put forth effort in, in saying no to sin and saying no to temptation and saying yes to the Spirit and walking after Jesus and following Him, that through that effort of reading your Bible and spending time in prayer and putting God first in your life, as you do that, the, the grace of God that exists it is wonderful. You begin to see it for all that it is, more and more. And so merit does is what... Is not what saves us, neither is it our own efforts that save us. It's the grace of God that saves us. But as I put more effort and time into it, it becomes even more sweet and good and holy and wonderful and true. Like it just it already is, but here I'm able to see it better. Um, and I think that's what that psalm is saying. Like Like, open up the gates. The king of glory is outside. And as you do, Jesus does not kick the door in. You guys have heard, you probably heard this your whole life. Jesus never stands at the door of your heart and goes, police, and has like this sledge ram. And he's like, I'm coming in, fool, like to clean this place up, whether you like it or not. Like that's never, Jesus doesn't bring the SWAT team of angels into your into your life and he's like, yeah, lock them up, sucker. And you're like, I have no control over this. Ah. You have free will. And in that free will, God, his son knocks at your heart and says, would you open up and let my glory into your life? Like, let me just come in and begin to take everything that you think is so wonderful and so sinful and you love it so much. Watch me purge it and give you something that is life-giving and good and to remove these pockets of sin and remove this junk out of your life and experience all that God is and all that he has for all of eternity. But he just knocks so gently and softly and says, it's really up to you. But he never kicks it in. Jesus will never force you to go to heaven right? He's not going to drag you there. You're like, I don't want to go. And he's like, too bad. And you have your little happy harness on. And he's like dragging you in through those pearly gates. He's like, you're going to love it. Like, deal with this. Like, Ugh. And you're like, oh, I didn't want to do this. That's not. He doesn't force you into heaven, like ever. He doesn't force anybody to go. But over the, the body of his son, you walk to get to hell. Like, he's done everything to keep you from going to hell. He he's done it all. Like he's given you salvation through faith. But it's it's really we have free will to choose. And you can choose as much Jesus as you want, man. And I think it was John Phillips, he said, Each man is as full of the Holy Spirit as he desires. So you can have as much as you want. And some people are just like, I'm good. Like with this little four ounce macchiato shot. Like, I'm good. Other people are like, dude, big gulp. That's what, you know, like, yeah, that's what that's what I'm after. And, and really, that's that's what I'm saying. It's a every person. You're, you, we as a church, we're church globally, big C. Like God loves us. God cares for us. God is working through His church. But you, as the the temple of the Holy Spirit, your walk with God and God, He's a personal God. He's a personal God. He's about humankind, but he's also about the lowest and smallest and unseen. uh, And he's about the individual. And so with that, God knocks at the door of every heart and asks, will you let me in? Will you let me in? And if you've yet to receive Christ and you are squirming in your chair and you're like, gosh, this guy is so stupid. I can't wait for him to just shut up because I don't want to deal with this. Um, how many of you have a hard time sitting in quiet? Do you not have to raise your hand? But like, for me, it's hard to sit in quiet and just be still. Because in doing so, I have to deal with stuff, right? I have to deal with like things that are going on in my life. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. So I'm going to listen to this. Or I'm gonna have my phone going at the same time and this is going at the same time. So I just don't want quiet because if I do, man, I'm gonna have to deal with some stuff. And so you're here tonight and you're like, gosh, just stop talking so I can go to Chick-fil-A and fill the cracks of my soul with Chick-fil-A sauce and just let it again heal me, heal me nuggets. Ned. Or, <laughs> or you could sit quietly and just as the Lord knocks on your heart, and you know, you know, each person knows what that looks like—that little tug from the Holy Spirit—and and He's saying, "Like, let me come in, like, please, please. It's locked from the inside. You're, you have to unlock it and open it. But God's not going to punch it in. But He pleads with you. He pleads with you." it please with me through his spirit so uh, let's pray